The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. Well, let's open our Bibles tonight, if you would, to 1 John chapter 4. And in tonight's message, we'll continue our study on the subject uh, about the Holy Spirit, asking the question, who is the Holy Spirit? Now, I want to read the verses that we have here, and if you'll find this passage quickly, we'll read this and then we'll examine another important part of our study of the Holy Spirit. First John chapter 4, verse number 1, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Hereby know ye the Spirit of God, every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist, whereof ye have heard that it should come, and even now already is it in the world. Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you uh, than he that is in the world." They are of the world, therefore speak they of the world, and the world heareth them. We are of God. He that knoweth God heareth us. He that is not of God heareth not us. Hereby know we the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Now, for several weeks, we we have been discussing the person and work of the Holy Spirit. And we've learned that his work is very multifaceted. Should I use the word very with that? Multifaceted and indispensable. And we would expect that to be true because we do know that he's God. We tackled his identity as one of the first parts of the uh, messages that we've been talking about. And uh, we know that he rules the world because he is God and that the world is dependent upon him. The Apostle Paul said that in God we live and move and have our being. And, of course, we could apply that statement to the entire Godhead, but we would say particularly to the Holy Spirit because he is the one who God works through. He is the, uh, the person of the Godhead that actually operates in the world today. So everything that we do is dependent upon the operation of the Holy Spirit. We could say that the whole world is dependent upon him. Even those who don't know Christ as Savior, they are dependent upon him because he's the one that keeps everything in operation. But the whole world doesn't acknowledge him and they don't understand this. And even if they believe that there is a God that they are accountable to, they don't really know the true God. Now, those of us that know Christ uh, and we're party to his redemptive work, we know the true God and we know that the Holy Spirit has been given to us. The Word of God tells us that he's given to prove our salvation and also as a pledge of the completion of our salvation. Because the Holy Spirit's been given to us, we do know that our salvation will be complete as we get to heaven. Now, as we learn then more about salvation we become more aware of the Spirit's presence in our lives. The Holy Spirit is just working in us every day. He molds us into the image of Christ. He does a sanctifying work in us. He moves us to conviction. And we're aware of when the Holy Spirit is operating in us and leading us to righteousness. And that part of the Holy Spirit's work was the part that was confusing to those disciples that we talked about in Acts chapter 19. Uh, Paul met some disciples there, and, 
And uh, they professed to be believers, but they hadn't heard about the special operations of the Holy Spirit. And so Paul asked them, uh, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And I think that what he meant was, did you receive the special operations of the Spirit? Things that they weren't yet aware of because they had received John's baptism or uh, had heard uh, about the Christ that was coming but did not actually know that Christ had come. So they weren't aware of things that we know today that the Holy Spirit works in every Christian, that God has given him to us, that he lives in us, he works in us, And that's the part they didn't understand. And not knowing that, they didn't have the ability to access the power of the Holy Spirit as they should have been able to do. So they learned about, and Paul explained to them about, the intimate work that the Holy Spirit has in believers since uh, Christ left this world. Now this evening as we look at the beginning of 1 John chapter 4, I'd like to deal with a problem that is especially acute in our time. And that is those that profess to be Christians, that claim that things they do, that they're operating under the power of the Holy Spirit, when actually we see they're doing something that's very, very much different than what we do. And we have to know whether they are actually operating in the power of the Holy Spirit. Are they really doing what the Holy Spirit is directing? And there is a way that we can tell that. The Word of God gives us a way to tell that. Now, as we start this outline this evening... It looks a little bit difficult to you, I know. It's really weird. Uh, it's been kind of hard to keep up through nine messages with the, ver- with the same outline. So I've just started here where we actually left off the last time. So we've discussed previously uh, the Holy Spirit's agency in creation and in the ministry of Christ. Uh, we've talked about his um, giving us the canon of Scripture, how that he inspired the Holy Scriptures. And now we're talking about the agency of the Holy Spirit in the ministry of a Christian. And in that discussion, we've talked about regeneration, sanctification, glorification, communication, demonstration. And in the last message, we talked about verification. And just to refresh you a little bit on that, verification is the fruit that the Holy Spirit produces in the Christian, and it's also the filling of the Holy Spirit. And his his presence is verified by the activities that we carry on as children of God, uh, the frame of mind that we're in, the thankfulness that we have, things that we think about, things that we talk about, our willingness to submit to the Holy Spirit's control. That's all part of the Spirit's filling in his his fruit. So those were six ways that we've discussed previously how the Holy Spirit works in the ministry of the Christian. Tonight we're going to take up the seventh. So your outline is the Holy Spirit is God's agent and point number seven is the word distinction. Distinction. There are ways that the Holy Spirit distinguishes his work from the works of Satan. Satan is is the great counterfeit. He tries to fool us into following him, and when he does, he tries to lead us away from the truth. Satan is also a spirit, and his work is done by influencing people to take the wrong path. And so we encounter many people that name the name of Christ. They do claim that they're doing God's work, and they say that the Holy Spirit is the one that's directing them, but in reality, what they're doing has nothing at all to do with the Holy Spirit. And I've said before many times that when you see something that is not God's work, it can only come from one other place. 
There are only two spirits that operate in the world. Either we're talking about the work that the Holy Spirit does, or we're talking about the evil works of Satan, who is also a spirit, or all of his emissaries, his demons, that carry on his work in the world. And so in order to tell who is doing the work, we have to look at the end result of it. And if the end result is not consistent with what the Word of God says, then it can't be the Holy Spirit. So we turn here to 1 John chapter 4, and John provides for us a brief outline of how we can tell or how we can distinguish true works of the Spirit from those things that are done by Satan. Jonathan Edwards uh, pointed these truths out that I want to give you tonight. Uh, He wrote on uh, 1 John chapter 4 on this particular subject about how to tell the difference between the Holy Spirit and the works of Satan. So let's look again at verses 1 through 3. John says, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits whether they are of God. Because many false prophets are gone out into the world, hereby know we the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist, whereof ye have heard that it should come, and even now already is it in the world. Now, John's first order of business in this chapter is to let us know that there are many who claim to be teachers of the truth, but they're actually speaking lies. Satan is that great imitator. He likes nothing better than to make people think that they have the truth, when actually what he's done is to substitute a counterfeit. And that counterfeit is not the spirit of Christ. John describes it as the spirit of Antichrist. If you remember when we uh, studied First John and also Revelation, we, we learned that John is the only one, the only writer of Scripture who actually uses the word Antichrist. And usually when we think about the Antichrist, we're thinking about that one big, powerful person that comes in the end times, the person who comes during the tribulation, and he is a counterfeiter. He's just like his father, Satan. One of the things that he will do is he'll set himself up in the temple when it's rebuilt and he'll claim that he is God. He'll have the ability to do supernatural types of things with the power of Satan and people will believe that he's actually God. Well, John here in this particular instance is not really talking about that big antichrist that's coming, but he says that there are antichrists that are already in the world and there are many of them. And they're false teachers, they're definitely here, and they make false claims about being teachers that have come from God. In 2 Corinthians 11, Paul says, For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness whose end shall be according to their works. Now, John saw many false apostles in his day. And in the 2,000 years since John was here, the numbers of false teachers has just multiplied across the face of this world. So there are many of these people out there And most people can't tell the difference between them and the true ministers of Christ. 
Now, you think that they would be able to if they knew the Word of God, they could, but most people don't know the Word of God. And so when they see a church that's near them, a church on the corner, or they hear a television broadcast that claims to be preaching the Word of God, they think, well, that's what they must be doing. And they just gladly accept it without even checking into it. So they think everybody's teaching the same thing and everybody's in the same boat. If they say they're teaching the Bible, then they must be okay. But John says, not so. There are many spirits. There is a diversity of false spirits is what he's saying. And it's our responsibility to determine who they are. And we can find out who they are by looking at the scriptures, checking them out to see if they match what's said in the word of God. But you know when we do that, there are many people that think that we're being unnecessarily unkind and that we're being divisive to the body of Christ, they call it. Well, there is no unity in the body of Christ except unity that comes by truth. And so we can't uh, accept people that don't teach the truth and be friendly, I mean, at least on a fellowship basis, with people that don't teach the truth of God's Word. Truth is the only thing that saves people. It doesn't make any difference how sincere you are about what you believe. Only the truth will save and that's why we're so concerned about truth. Now we notice in the, in the second verse of 1 John 4, one of the distinguishing results of the true work of the Spirit of God. And that is the exaltation of Christ. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. Now that's a very important statement. And it means more than most people really think that it means. It's apparent by reading the whole of 1 John that John dealt with many people that denied the incarnation of Christ. The chief enemies that he was dealing with were the Gnostics, and they said that God would never come in human flesh. They believed that flesh was was inherently sinful. And so they claimed to be believers in Jesus, but they said he did not, he is not God in the flesh. And, and they had various ways that they tried to get around that, ways of explaining it away who Jesus was. And you could imagine then, if they, if they denied the incarnation, they would also have to deny the virgin birth. You, the, you can't have a virgin birth unless he's God incarnate. And then you'd also have to deny the God-man sacrifice of Jesus Christ that he actually was God in the flesh who hung on the cross, who suffered in the flesh for the sins of the world. You see, whenever you attach the name Christ to Jesus, those are truths that you are affirming. Now, you can say that you believe in Jesus Christ all you want, but when you attach that word Christ to it, it means that you're affirming everything the Scripture said about him. It means that you affirm that he is God in the flesh, that there was a virgin birth, that he did die on the cross, that it was necessary, that there is an atonement for our sins that's been made physically by him. And so knowing the true Jesus is essential to our salvation... And it's the Holy Spirit's work to convince sinners that Jesus is God who came in human flesh. And so the Spirit confirms all the history that we have in the Bible about Jesus. He confirms these great truths. And more particularly, it's the Holy Spirit's work to confirm the work of Christ in redemption. And it just so happens that a substitutionary sacrifice had to be made for sin. That is absolutely indispensable to the gospel. So this sacrifice is utterly dependent upon Christ's perfection. It's dependent upon his kinship with man. It's dependent upon him actually coming in the flesh to earn righteousness that could be imputed to the sinner by faith. 
And if that is the indispensable truth that leads to salvation, then what do you think that the devil's going to do with it? Well, he's going to try to twist that. He'll try to pervert it in any way that he can. He'll try to deny it. And so Satan works tirelessly against the true gospel of Christ to deny every doctrine that's attendant to redemption. And so whenever you find somebody who denies those truths, what do you conclude? Well, you'd have to say that person can't be working under the power of the Holy Spirit. That that doesn't match what the Bible says. Satan is never going to stress truth. And his co-workers are not going to tell the truth about Christ. And so thus you have the cults of Mormonism, the Jehovah Witnesses and others that deny Jesus as the Christ. Now they claim to believe him and they'll use the title Christ along with his name, but they're liars because they don't believe these very basic truths that we have in God's word about him. Now, I'd like you to keep your place there in 1 John. And let's, let's turn to the 19th chapter of Acts. And I referred to this incident in last week's uh, message in the morning. And this, was, this came after the encounter that Paul had with those disciples in the first part of Acts chapter 19. And here we find, I think, another interesting story about real spiritual power versus fake spiritual power. Now, the Apostle Paul, as he worked, every activity that he did was in the power of the Spirit. He preached in the Spirit's power. He healed in the Spirit's power. He cast out demons by the Holy Spirit. Notice what it says here in uh, verse 11 in Acts 19. And God wrought special miracles by the hands of Paul, so that from his body were brought unto the sick handkerchiefs or aprons, and the diseases departed from them, and the evil spirits went out of them. Then certain of the vagabond Jews, exorcists, took upon them to call over them which had evil spirits the name of the Lord Jesus, saying, We adjure you by Jesus whom Paul preacheth. And there were seven sons of one Siva, a Jew, and chief of the priests, which did so. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are ye? And the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them and overcame them and prevailed against them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. And this was known to all the Jews and Greeks also dwelling at Ephesus and fear fell on them all and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. Now here we have false prophets that presumed to call upon the name of Jesus and they tried to cast out a demon when they didn't even know Jesus. And when they tried to cast him out, the demon didn't recognize their authority. The only ones who could cast out demons were Jesus and those that he had authorized to do it. And so when this demon heard what these men were trying to do, trying to cast him out of the man, the Bible says that demon just leaped on these people and just beat the living daylights out of them. They were false exorcists. They weren't true uh, believers in Christ. They didn't know him. But here's the thing I want you to really notice is, is verse 17. And this was known to all the Jews and Greeks also dwelling at Ephesus. And fear fell on them all. And the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. When the Holy Spirit is working, the name of the Lord Jesus will always be magnified. People see the true Christ of Scripture. They see Christ as he's described in in the Word, and Jesus is exalted, and every scriptural claim that's made about him is said to be true. 
Now, secondly, the Holy Spirit is distinguished from false spirits by his opposition to Satan. There's always going to be opposition to Satan. And you would expect that to be true. You can't exalt Jesus Christ and at the same time be on Satan's side. So at every turn, Satan will be exposed and opposed by the true spirit. Now we look at verses 4 and 5 in 1 John 4. Uh, John says, Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. They are of the world, therefore speak they of the world, and the world heareth them. And when Jesus promised that the Holy Spirit would come, he said that he would come to reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. He said the prince of this world will be cast out. And there he's talking about Satan. He promised that we would have strength in Christ. He said that the Holy Spirit would work in us. He would enable us to overcome the world. And when John speaks about overcoming the world, he's not speaking about political victory. He's not talking about claiming a territory for a Christian nation. That's going to come later when Jesus sets up his kingdom upon the earth. But he's speaking there about the resistance that a Christian has to everything that would turn our hearts away from the true worship of God. That's what it means to overcome the world. So he's speaking of the pursuit of righteousness. As Jesus said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And that's what we're enabled to do in the Spirit's power. And as we seek God, we resist everything that is opposed to God. And we have the ability in the Spirit's power to turn from our sins and to quench those fiery darts of the devil, as Paul explains in Ephesians chapter 6. And that is why it is so critical for churches to preach about sin. It's why we insist that the membership of our church live holy lives. We oppose the kingdom of Satan. And what we don't want to do, we do not want to drag Satan's kingdom into our church. But we have members who want to do that. And where do you suppose that that inclination comes from? Is that the work of the Holy Spirit in their lives? Not at all. That's Satan's work. The Holy Spirit always opposes Satan. And so when you see churches that never talk about sin, when they bring evil into the church like homosexuality, and they teach that uh, God respects sexual orientation, whether it's transsexual, transgenders, homosexuals, every deviant lifestyle you could imagine, then you know the Holy Spirit is not there. But you find many that name the name of Christ and they have it on the door. And they have it in all of their literature and they permit those things and they say, we're speaking for Christ. But they're not speaking for Christ. What they do is they lull the people into complacency and they put their consciences to sleep with what we might call a tolerance pill. And they claim that's the work of God. The Holy Spirit's never going to do that. The Holy Spirit always convinces of sin. He never supports it. Anything that's in the interest of sin, he will oppose. In the second chapter, John said, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. He opposes all the works of the world because all of those are the works of Satan. 
Well, thirdly, the distinction between the Holy Spirit's work and Satan's work is the direction to the Scriptures. Notice verse 6. We are of God. He that knoweth God heareth us. And there John is speaking about the apostles and what they said and what they wrote. He that is not of God heareth not us. Hereby know we the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Well, what's John doing as he writes this letter? He's writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. The words that he writes, they're from the Spirit. They are the truth. The Bible is the inspired Word of God. As Paul says, the Word of God is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. And so whenever you find people that have a high regard for the Word of God, that's a very good indication that they're working under the leadership of the Holy Spirit. And again, we would expect that to be true because what would the Holy Spirit do other than lead people to the very things that he's written or that that he's authored? Satan wants nothing to do with God's word except to twist it and to pervert it. So we find today there's a great dearth of gospel preaching. We find that there are not too many churches any longer that really want to get into the word of God and teach it. And unfortunately, we find that to be true in many of our Baptist churches. We even find it to be true in fundamentalism. Now, originally, fundamentalism was a, was a movement to confront modernism. Uh, the modernists denigrated the Word of God. They didn't believe in the inerrancy of Scripture. And so the fundamentalists preached against that. They stood on inerrancy. They stood against modernism. Uh, they, they stood against those who denied the infallibility of Scripture. And so you would think, well, a fundamentalist, there's somebody that will have a high regard for all the Word of God. And they'll teach it faithfully, and they'll teach it consistently. They'll stick to the context of Scripture, and they won't twist it for their own purposes. But the sad thing is, it's not uncommon to find church leaders, and I'm not talking about the pastor now, but I'm talking about leaders in the church that don't know very much about the Word of God because all they've ever listened to were the pet doctrines of their pastors. And that's the only thing they listen to. Now, it's amazing that one of the largest fundamental Baptist churches in America stands against the straight exposition of Scripture. I mean, it's almost as if they're afraid the people are going to learn too much, and if they do, they'll challenge some of their nutty ideas. Several years ago, before I left Kentucky, I was uh, visited by two members of a local fundamental church, and I was glad to see them. I invited them to come in. I mean, I'm always interested in meeting people who are Christians, and um, it's it's always a good thing. So I invited them to come in, and... and, uh, I I learned as I was talking to them that one of them was a deacon in the church. And and he had been a deacon for a long, long time. We didn't talk very much about salvation because once uh, we determined who we were, I knew who they were and then they knew who I was and what we we believed. We, We were on the same page as far as what it means to be saved. So we didn't talk too much about that. So our discussion turned to other things. And I started to quiz them a little bit about, you know, what what doctrines does their church hold? What kind of stands do they take? And I found out that this deacon, one who'd been a deacon for many, many years, was completely lost in the conversation when it got beyond just very basic things about salvation. What's the problem with that? Well, the problem was he hadn't been taught. 
Whose fault is that? I think it's the pastor's fault. Because, because when they got beyond salvation, when the pastor got beyond salvation and making sure that everybody kept all of their rules, there wasn't much else to it. And that tells me that there's not enough real concern about teaching all that the scriptures have to say. And you can imagine that if that is a problem in fundamental churches, how bad it must be in those who are not fundamental. One of my favorite illustrations is about a church less than two miles from here, a church in Katati. And one of the members of our church attended that church as a favor to a friend. And when she went, she took her Bible and she was greeted by those people in that church that said, why did you bring a Bible? You're not going to need that here. And that goes on all over our city, goes on all over the country. There are churches that name the name of Christ. They claim to be Christian churches, but they don't have anything to do with the Bible. Now, would you say that's the spirit of Christ? Or is that the spirit of the Antichrist? You can tell the difference. If somebody has no regard for the word of God, you can tell what spirit they're from. So you can distinguish it. Satan hates the word. His ministers are never going to plant in their followers, a reverence that the word of God deserves. Now, if you don't mind, let me toot our horn just a little bit. Not my horn, but, but, the, but for a, a Holy Spirit-led church. We teach the Bible book by book and chapter by chapter and verse by verse because we believe every single word that's in the word of God is important. We don't want to leave anything out. So we don't preach politics and we don't preach the paper, and we don't preach, pop, preach popular opinions, we preach, thus saith the Lord. And if he didn't say it, we don't want any part of it. So the Holy Spirit is always going to direct people to the Word. Why does he do that? Because it's the truth. Uh, that would be one reason. And it's the only way that you can find out what God says. God doesn't give any new revelation today. So if you want to know what God's will is, and you want to know what God says, you're going to have to go to the Bible. All of that's found in the Word of God. And you ignore the Word of God, you won't know the will of God. You won't know anything about Him. But it's amazing the number of people that you run into and they say, well, we're Christians. Yes, I'm a Christian. You go to the door and you talk to them and they say, yes, I'm a Christian. And you go in and sit down with them and you say, well, tell me about your experience. Tell me about being a Christian. And they say, well, I think that God accepts all people. I think we're all the children of God. I think everybody's going to be in heaven. I don't think there is a hell. I don't think that this particular thing is a sin. And I think this, and I think this, and I think this, and I think this. And you say, well, what is the basis to believe such things? And sometimes they say, it's the Bible. But every one of those statements you could easily shoot down. But more often, they'll just say this. Well, that's just what I believe. And they don't have any authority higher than thus saith me. And when you see that, you stumbled upon the result of Satan's influence. That is not the Holy Spirit. It's not godly. It's not of God. So you can distinguish between the false and the true by seeing if a person has been directed to the word of God. Is that where he finds his authority? Is that where he gets his beliefs? And they actually have to know what the word of God says. Now, fourthly then, closely connected to that, uh, you can tell whether it's the work of the spirit or the work of Satan by the elevation of truth. 
Verse 6, we are of God. He that knoweth God heareth us. He that is not of God heareth not us. Hereby know we the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Hereby know we the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. And we don't spend, need to spend a lot of time on this because it's closely connected to the direction to the scriptures. But the Holy Spirit is always going to lead people to truth. The mantra of the devil's religion is that truth is relative. That you decide what truth is. And what's true for you is okay for me. It may not be true for me, but it's okay. And I'm content to find my own truth. And if we differ, both of us are right. It's not uncommon to find people that say, I'm a spiritual person. They may not know anything at all about what God says, but they're a spiritual person. And to them, that is akin to saying, I have found my own way to God, if there is a God. I don't really need your way. So they don't see themselves as God sees them, and they're determined that they're going to climb up some other way, as Jesus described it. He said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. Jesus is the door to the sheepfold. He's the way to heaven. There is no other way. But these people that I'm talking about, they don't even know the elementary truths. They, they don't even know what that deacon that I talked about knew. So they don't know that they've sinned against God. They don't know that they have to give an account to him. They don't know that they're helpless. They don't know Jesus is the only way. And so they found what they think is truth. And that's the kind of thing that's fostered by false churches. No preaching on sin, no preaching on hell, no preaching about the cross because people don't really need to know those things. And so they're on their way to heaven by whatever means. And they think they're as sure for heaven as the person who thinks the exact opposite of what they believe. They have found their way to God. Everybody finds their way to God. And that's the truth for them. But that is not God's truth. There's only one truth, and that's God's truth. So what does Satan do? He covers up truth. He obfuscates the truth. He hides the truth. And when you see that going on, that is the work of Satan, not the Holy Spirit. Now lastly, we'll hurry here. The Holy Spirit will also lead us to the adoration of God. Now go down to verse number 8. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. The Holy Spirit always teaches us to love God. And you know what always follows love for God? Love for other people. That's the natural outcome of it, or that is the spiritual outcome, maybe I should say. When the Holy Spirit is at work in you, you cannot hear enough about God. He becomes the object of your desires. And you know, that's really the key to, to, to uh, loving the Bible because the Bible is where you find out about this God that you adore. I, I never, you, you can't possibly love God and not love his word. You can't possibly love him and not read his love letters. And that's what the Bible is. I mean, that, that's God's telling us that he loved the world, that he sent Jesus to die for us. He sent his only son to rescue us from the misery and the penalty of hell. That's God's love for us. And so whenever you see the Spirit working, you'll always say, see people that love to praise God. They love his word. They love to sing the songs of Zion. 
You know, sometimes I get choked up when we sing the songs. There, there are certain times when, when I, I can't even get the words out. There's sometimes, you know, you've seen me. Sometimes when I preach it, it just, it just overwhelms you. We have one of our ladies that regularly goes out of church with tears in her eyes. And she tells me, I'm just thinking about how much love that God has for me. When you talk about the cross and you, and you tell us about what Jesus did for us there and how he saved us from hell, it just becomes overwhelming. And she goes out crying. I know that the Spirit has showed up then. I know that's the Holy Spirit working. But conversely, when I see people that resist the sermons and they resist the call of the Spirit, they resist devotion, they resist consecration... They don't really love God. They may say that they love God, but they don't. Because the Holy Spirit is never going to lead a person in any other direction than the desire to please the Heavenly Father. So don't tell people that you love God if your life doesn't show it, if you're not living for Him, because that is the exact opposite of what Jesus says love for Him is. You must obey Him. If you love me, He said, keep my commandments. And John says, if you don't love your brother, the love of God is not in you. So don't claim that you have something that you don't when nobody can see the distinction, when they cannot see those distinguishing marks of the Holy Spirit's presence. And what John has done, he's just given us a brief outline, and he tells us how you can know a false prophet from a true one. You look and see... Is the Holy Spirit working or is the devil working? And you determine that devil working, you determine that by the end result. You, you determine that by whether it is in accord with the word of God. And there's a lot more that we could say on this. And, and, I, and when I preached this passage, uh, uh, how long ago was it? We did First John and we spent a long time there. And when I preached this passage, we explained a whole lot of these things, went into more detail. So if you want to know more, check out that series. So who is the Holy Spirit? Well, he's the one that will lead to the exaltation of Christ. He leads to the opposition of Satan. He moves in the direction of the scriptures and always in that direction. He's concerned with the elevation of truth. And he teaches us to adore God. So who is he? The best way to find out is trust Jesus Christ. Because the Bible says he comes to live in you when you put your faith in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for these great words that are written by uh, John under the inspiration of the Spirit, how we can tell when your Holy Spirit is among us. And Lord, help us not to be afraid to, to distinguish between the true and the false and not be concerned about whether we're being divisive with anybody. We want people to know the truth. And Lord, help us to stand for your truth always. That's all we want in our church is the truth of your word. Help us, Lord, to teach it and preach it and give it to people. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Ronert Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Ronert Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us on the World Wide Web at www.bebaptist.org.